Welcome back to the Breakdown Podcast. It's another week of Super Rugby. There's been plenty to talk about. There's been an announcement of the new Black Ferns coaching team. We're going to focus on Super Rugby here, and he's been one of our leading commentators for the year. He's been busy. When guys want a weekend off, what do we, who do we ring? We ring Ben Castle, and he's available. He's worked in the game and all sorts of the game. He's going to give you insights to a whole lot of things. But, Benny, great to have you with us. Um, it's sort of a down week of Super Rugby, but essentially we're about the halfway stage of this competition. Have, have, has it has it surprised you, the nature of the change of the game in regards to the laws, the speed of it? There's been tries everywhere. As a former prop, would you have been loving it or would you have been going, hold on, hold on, I want some more scrums? What have you made of it all? Oh, yeah, be, hold on, hold on. Let's slow this down a little bit. Let's have a water break. It's um, just got to fix my laces. Um Something along those lines, but oh, there's no just on your point around the rules. There's no question it's it's been far it's been far faster, which I guess leads to the entertainment that we're seeing at the moment and the try scoring. The scrums are speeding up, which I know um, uh, there's a lot of people out there that want to see scrums um, faster and the mucking around and so on, and the lineouts are happening faster. So I think that is that is good because what it's encouraging is far better. I guess, um, application of, um, you know, mindset and application of how we're going to go about this scrum because if you keep collapsing them or keep mucking around, referees aren't going to waste any time anymore. So we're seeing that change as well, where referees are actually starting to blow a whistle for a penalty or a free kick really quickly because they're in that same mindset, which I think is which is good. So it goes back to players who then have to apply themselves better at scrum time to not get it wrong, not muck around. But a referee's getting it right all the time at scrum time. No is probably the answer, but if they ever got it right all the time, no. But equally, players get away with a bit of murder there sometimes as well. So that's one point. The other one around the competition, which I am surprised about, is how far behind the Australian teams are yet again, outside of the Brumbies. Um, I think there's just such a clear gap, and we saw that on the weekend, uh, Blues, Rebels. I think that really highlighted it, where it the team just fell apart at the end. And we've seen that with the Reds. The Brumbies are the only one that are really sticking in there um, out, of, out of that mix. So that has surprised me how far away they are and, you know, the New Zealand team's dominating the top of the tape. It's interesting you, you start there and, you, you know, you played 50, 51 games for the Chiefs, right? And you think about the nature of the contest when you were playing, right? And the weapon that the scrum had become in the game of rugby, right? It was something that you could go to. And funnily enough, you talk about the weekend, teams who have got a good scrum can still use a good scrum. And that has a big impact on the game. So when I look at the Australian teams once again, is that where they're suffering? Is that where the issues truly lie once again for them? Is their ability to get parity up front? Yeah, yeah, bang on. The, um, the ability to dominate up front is, I don't think, is part of their... Uh, Look, they've had their clinical at line-out time. They are good line-out operators. They do tend to win their ball at line-out time. Uh, there are, I think there is far more competition at line-out time now. We're seeing teams compete all over the park in different ways. But the Australians have always been really good at line-out time and, and, and take a lot of pride in that area. Scrum time, they just haven't had the, haven't had the cattle, really, to, to back it up. And we saw that. Uh, we've seen Kiwi teams on Kiwi teams, scrums going... Um, one way or the other at different times of the game. And you're right, if you've got a dominant scrum, and this is what's so important about scrummaging and how it flows into the game, and 
you know, there are people out there who go, scrums are boring or scrums, you know, don't mean anything to them who are watching. But in the game of rugby, it, it actually has a massive impact on how that forward pack plays. It's a real mindset shift. If a, if a scrum is dominating that set piece, the way you go about your business for the remainder of the game is, is very, very different. You start, you start looking forward to... Some of, if, if a back, your back knocked the ball on, you think that's no problem because we get the scrum again. Or if they knock the ball on, you're thinking, right, this is good. So the whole, the confidence in the pack, maul time, line-out drive time, everything lifts a, bar, a level up. So the team starts to dominate off that, that moving platform going forward. So it's really, really critical. We're not seeing that from the Australian teams. And you saw how the Blues absolutely annihilated that Rebel scrum towards the end of the game. Yes, they were down a number, but still, we've seen teams hang in there. Moana uh, Pacifica held in there with seven numbers against the Crusaders. So teams can do it with seven, you know, seven on eight, but the Australian teams can't. We're going into a place that this podcast has never gone before. <laughs> the psychology of a prop, of a front rower, like... I, I'm, I'm actually quite excited about this because there's such an important part of the game. It's an area that New Zealand rugby, and I know this All Black coaching group, have focused on going at comparisons that we make with France and Ireland, the two number one contenders in the world at the moment. They have set a standard on how they want to play the game. And probably the shifts they have made is the ball, make, uh, ball play and athleticism particularly on their props. Their locks have always been big physical men, but their props. Significant signings have happened over the last three weeks. We've got an all-black front row of the future that has, has signed up. Ethan DeGroote, Samasone Tokiaho, and then at tight head prop Tyrell Lomax. So have you seen a shift then, if you start looking at what we've got playing in Super Rugby right now for our five franchises um, that are eligible to play for the All Blacks? Have you, have you seen a shift? in mindset, not just this season, but the intent over the last probably 18 months about the expectations and psychology of an all-black prop and a super rugby prop, prop as well. Absolutely. The, and, and that's simply the speed of the game. Uh, and, and it's tough for a prop because the speed of the game, yet the the, the, the key role of a, of a prop around his set piece. When you put down, right, your top four uh, or top five requirements of your your job or you uh, as, a, as a rugby player you, scrum for the prop will be number one on that list number two will be line out um you know your line out lift and so on and then number three you do in number four will start to break down into defense and ball carry and so on so you go down the order but at the end of the day you are there you're picked to nail your set piece because you cannot function unless you have your set piece so there's a, there's a weight issue with that. So when we look at Ethan DeGroote at 123 kilos, Tyrell Lomax at 126 kilos, pushing 127, these are big, big men. And the expectation of them as well now to be mobile and agile and to be ball players is there as well. So they're actually having to really balance themselves more than players have ever had to in the past. And some players have gone down the road of going too, being too heavy and not being able to ball play or being too light, not being able to nail set piece. So there is, and I think it was well documented as well around Ethan group getting a bit of a rocket from the All Black uh, selectors and coaches around his mobility. And we saw in that game against the Hurricanes that 
he is he is mobile now. He is starting to carry. He's starting to get his hands on the ball. And this is what happens with this mobility and equally confidence in their own ability around how they're playing. They're getting themselves into positions earlier to be effective, either with ball or to clean out, to carry, or even to defend. So they are now moving around far uh, with a lot more agility to get into these positions to play. And a lot of that comes from the confidence that they're getting through the game. So the Highlanders looked at that game against, um, it was uh, Moana Pacifica when they they were dominant up front. I mean, Ethan de Groot got three penalties, um, scrum penalties to his name. And then you just see how he lifts as a player. He's looking he's licking his lips every scrum time, of course, because that's a, an area where he, he knows he's going to dominate. But it's just the confidence that he takes into the game around right now, I'm actually being able to move forward. I'm into a position where I can get my hands on the ball. Same with Tyrell Lomax. Lomax has always been a pretty good ball player, especially when he was younger. Um, when he was over in Australia with the Rebels and he even had a bit of time with the Brumbies, so he got used to that side of the game. And then when he came to New Zealand, he actually got really heavy. And he went down to the Highlanders and he got really, really heavy and he got a bit slow and lethargic. And I think now he's just refined exactly where that prime weight is for him. And now you're seeing him carry the ball. Look, he's not going to run 100 metres and score a try, but he's going to, he's going to take a couple of tacklers with him and he's going to set that ball up. But he's going to be available. He's going to be available to hit that breakdown or to to be used to catch that ball and pass it and move it on. So it's it's a definite shift in, uh, in, the, in the mindset of a front row now that they have to be able to ball play. So all of that leads to where Super Rugby sides are right now in this competition about at, at who are the teams that are contenders. And it's interesting the number one side in the competition at the moment, which is on the points table, is the Hurricanes, but I think everyone believes it's the Chiefs, yep. given the fact they're undefeated, you know, they've played some significant opposition uh, and they've stepped up to the mark. So they've got, you know, Aiden Ross, George Dyer, they've had to bring in John Ryan, Ollie Norris. I mean, they were looking at a situation where they had a, a couple of significant injuries. Uh, Atu Molly goes out, Angus Tatavau. Yep. You know, they were in a space where they had some mobility, they had a little bit of depth. It's the one area they've brought in some reinforcements in John Ryan. But their comparisons to, say, the Crusaders, another side... Maybe they, they lost Fletcher Newell and it's probably impacted their ability to, to be as dominant up front. They've had a number of injuries in their forward pack as well. Um, and when their big guns don't play, Sam Whitelock being out, um, um, uh, Scott Barrett takes a week off, not as dominant against Moana Pacifica as we had seen, you know, they've probably been in the past. So in terms of this competition as it's playing out right now, do the favourites are the favourites, the teams that are on top of the table? that maybe don't have, and, and this is, we say, the Blues have got experience in terms of their front row, and then you've, but the two teams at the moment, you wouldn't say Lomax, clearly. Um, how much of it comes down to Asafa Amua, Samsoni Tokiaho, and, and actually the man who's in the middle of these two guys and the impact they can have on the game? And to me, that's great news about Tokiaho. I think he's signed through to 2027. 27. Um, that's awesome. I mean, that's awesome for New Zealand rugby to, yeah. to have nailed him down, given the fact that Dane Coles has already said you know, he's going to retire at the end of this season. Um, how much it comes back to the man in the middle? And do you see this these two teams at the moment who are top of the table, have they got enough up front, particularly at scrum time, when it comes at the business end of the season, to be able to handle, you know, the likes of a Blues side? Uh, definitely. I think when you, I mean, touching on the Hurricanes first, I mean, Dane Coles, when Dane Coles is at his best, I don't think there's anyone better. He's, he's um He'd be, uh, admit that he's now 
just that um, a few a few years older. But his scrumming ability, if you if you look at that first and foremost, has always been very 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 good. He's always been a top level scrummager, and Samasoni Takeaho is also a very very good scrummager. Asafa Mu is a very very good scrummager. So the that middle of the pack there is critical come scrum time in terms of how they how you end up. Uh, how you take a battle on at scrum time. So front row, like you never, you've got a tight head with two heads around you. You've got a loose head with one head. You've got a hooker. Now, the times where you're seeing scrums getting moved around is when a hooker and a tight head work together and they try and, or a hooker and a um, loose head try and nail that tight head. So you've got two heads coming in here. And so the tight head's looking left and right, or trying to look left and right, and all he can feel is his eyes about to pop out of his head, so he can't look anywhere. So what he's got to take, what he's got to do is make sure his hooker is making it a one-on-one -on -one battle each time. So the harder the hooker hits the other hooker, that the opposition hooker has to concentrate more on a one-on-one -on -one battle. If you can make the front row battle a one-on-one -on -one competition, the loose head will take on that tight head, the hooker takes on the middle, and the tight head taking on that loose head on that side. If you can all have it one-on-one, -on -one, then you've got a chance. If you don't, if that hooker doesn't hit hard, and the other one slides off and starts hitting the tight head. Your scrum is near over. So this is where this, this, the, the hookers we've got now are starting to make it a one-on-one -on -one battle. And you can see when a hooker takes on a hooker, the hookers, he goes back onto the sky hook. You know, his head's up, in the, head's up in the air. And that's because simply that hooker has smashed his opposite. So hooker on hooker, they're going at each other to try and get that edge. So then the tight head can concentrate just on the loose head. And if you can create that, then and you've got a better scrummaging pack, away you'll go, you'll go forward all day. So this is where the experience of uh, Jason Ryan and the All Blacks now, Greg Feek's experience is in there, Mike Cron, of course, the scrum doctor for years, has created this almost um, Bible of how, how to scrum, and it's just been handed down and handed through to players so they understand what they need to do. And when you... You've got to be a strong scrummager anyway. You've got to have your technique right. And we're lucky we've got three hookers. And Cody Taylor's no different. Cody Taylor, I think, is a, a very good scrummager, probably just a touch a touch lighter. But they, they, we've got now hookers that understand how to scrummage and tight heads and loose heads who are working together across the board. So when you look at the Chiefs now at the moment with Simasoni in the middle, and yes, they've had some injuries uh, across the front um, there, but... And then the, the Hurricanes and other Highlanders aren't too bad in that space. I think the, the Blues definitely have cattle up front. It's almost now you look at across the... OK, it's quite even. You go back to the second row now. And you think, right, where is this power and this weight? And the and I call it the love for scrummaging. You have to love scrummaging. If you don't love scrummaging, you're not going to enjoy being a tight forward. You have to love scrummaging. And that's the kind of crusader psyche, I think, from years of years and years have been that they just love their set piece. But then you go to that second row. So the, the Chiefs have managed that to, to go well up at set piece because they've had the likes of uh, Ritalik in behind. They've got Tupo in behind here. So they've got a number of players that are able to step up into that second row. That's where the Hurricanes now, with Don Bird, his weight coming in there. Asai Walker, Leo Eddy, when he's there, James Blackwell. They're grunt machines. When I look at the Blues, I think it was Sam Derry, uh, and they're big man, but does he love scrummaging? Is he is he a is he a Brody Retallick type strength? Um, I think he will be, but is he now? And I, and so that's that may that maybe where the difference comes out when you go to the the Highlanders again. Yes, they've got the group, but it's their second row that big 
angry lock, you know, who loves hitting bodies and loves that set piece to the side. And so when you go to the Crusaders, when a white lock is back, when a Barrett is back and they're and into that mix, that's when you know you've actually got a, a real big task on your hands. So that's kind of the, how this, the scrum sort of evolves into that space. So with all that, all that in mind, we know the battle come playoff time in Super Rugby is probably going to be won and lost in some of those. Well, it may not be won and lost in, in some of those contests now because if we're looking at the nature of this competition yeah. and the high-scoring fixtures that we have, is that... Is that going to be where this game gets to when you get quarter semis and finals? Or all of a sudden do you go, you know what, everything starts to tighten up again? And we've seen in, in derbies, that's the nature of a lot of these contests. You get into half time, she's not 25 20, it's, you know, it's 13 10. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden we've started to see that we're going to take the three. Um, you look at the nature of this competition, and at the moment it's Hurricanes and the Chiefs, they're tied on points. The Brumbies are just one point behind. You've got the Crusaders on, uh, who are at five and two, and everyone's talking about their challenging season. The Crusaders, right? They're at five and two. Um, look, they were clearly unlucky not to beat the Blues in Auckland. They did everything but get the ball down. I mean, they did about five times they got it held up over the line, and then they they sent uh, a bunch of kids to Fiji, and they were punished because of it. In the very final minute of that game, mm. they lost that contest as well, and they're at five and two. So I think there's the, the, there's certainly no way you would look at them and go they're not they're not the, the defending champion Crusaders. I think they still are. Yeah, it's the Blues at the moment at four and three, but everyone's got some question marks about. And then you've got the the rest. Look, and and we know in Super Rugby the nature of having eight out of twelve teams make a playoffs. You know, the Highlanders got there on four wins last year. Gosh, they've got three wins already this year, and they're not even halfway through the competition. So I think there's we all understand the nuances of of, of eight out of twelve. But now, when you look at it, if you had to go, okay, this is the team I'd be on right now. Leave your Chiefs past. Leave, leave that. Let's yeah. bring the Sky analyst in here, the Sky commentator, the guy who's seen these guys and watched the, the nature of their seasons and commentated them firsthand and look at their coaching teams and what they're starting to put together. Who do you like right now? And go, you know what? They're the team that I would follow and have enough in their depth chart to say, you know what, they could probably absorb losing some critical players. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you can you can bounce between each team and find reasons for them to be the form. Um, and look, the, the Highlanders, they are, they're hanging in there and they will get into those playoffs. They are, they just I, I respectfully just simply don't have some of that firepower the other teams have. And I think that's, that's well known. Um, look, for me, if we go to the other end at the moment, some, I would have to say the Hurricanes at the moment have probably the, mo the momentum, certainly, and seeing signs of how they're building their game week by week at the moment that is pushing them right into contender space. Um, and yes, they've got some tough games coming up. There's no question. This one... Um, against the Chiefs this week is going to be, um, that's going to be a blockbuster. Uh, they still have the Brumbies to come. They still have, uh, they have another run against the Blues. They still have the Crusaders again and so on. So there are a number of challenges that they've got, but the way that they're going about their business at the moment, I just, I just sense that there is something brewing that looks pretty good. And it's the reason why is, 
as I, how I see it at the moment, is there's a team, if you go back two years, go back three years to the Hurricanes group, it hasn't changed a lot of player names. Right? So they are the same group that is stuck together. They, they go back three years, there were some performances there that they would love to forget. And even two years ago, and even last year, you know, a couple of losses that you'd think, how have they lost this game? Fast forward to this year, there is a group of players that have been together that long who are starting, who have just matured that, but you know, through that through that period, there's a number of players who won the NPC with Wellington last year and won the Ramfilly Shield. So they're learning how to win, and they're learning what habits it takes through a week to build into a game to win a game like that. I think the big show or the big stage against these big teams now that they've done it for some of these younger players for three or four years doesn't necessarily scare them anymore. So take Dane Coles and Artie Savier out of that pack. That pack there with a Yossi or a Flanders or a Duplessis Kadifi or a Walker Leoweri and even a Xavier Numia, a Safa Moore, these guys go back a few years ago. They they would they were literally, I mean, again respectfully kids. They were young, yeah. right? And they were up against the White Locks and the Barretts and the John Williams and the these experienced all black players and across the board. And it was tough going. But now the, it's just even slightly. So there's an air of confidence about how they're playing. They are uh, another season bat they're battle hardened another year or another two years. So there's a I think a real belief there, and I think that's what Jason and Chris Gibbs and that crew have hung on to this group and believed in them. And then a leader like Hardy Savia, who is very good in the background, I mean, he's immense on the field and we know his ability on the field, everyone does. But he's so critical in the background as well to this team and how he brings that together. So I just feel right now that there is momentum behind this Hurricanes team that is pushing them into a place where they're quite excited about where they're heading. That is... That is a fascinating assessment because the one thing they don't have is they don't have a huge number of All Blacks. They've got a few, a yeah. handful. So in terms of them resting players, and they're probably one side that hasn't they've, have, they've suffered a, a couple of injuries. One significant injury has happened, Brett Cameron for them. Yeah. So, so Aidan Morgan is now, he's the guy. Looks as though Cameron's going to be out for a number of weeks. He might not be back until the playoffs. Yeah. So he, he's going to be He's going to be the guy. But when a Cameron Royguard steps up to the plate in a critical position, playing well, um, uh, no doubt a, a confrontational type of player. There's some things I'd love to see in this, in this game. But by the same token, he's playing on instinct right now, which I think is exactly what this team needs because that's the type of side that they are. If they go to a structure, I think it negates some of their, their talents and abilities. They're playing with a freedom where... Because they haven't been there, they're not looking to time their run. What they're doing is we're going to play our best rugby right now. We're just going to start from the season and win as many games as we can. This is, this is their run home, though. They've got the Chiefs, yeah. then the Brumbies, then they play the Drua in Fiji, right? They come home to play the Moana Pacifica side, and then they finish with this. The Chiefs away, the Blues away, and the Crusaders at home. <laughs> it's a good thing they've won a lot of these games already because that is – that's as tough as they get. But in saying that, supports your argument about that they'll be battle-hardened if they can stay healthy. And the other side of it too is, I think there'll be a lot of pressure on a number of teams and a number of players and individuals and other sides 
who, if they don't start performing to a level they're expected to from the next tier, yeah. which is the All Blacks, I, I think it changes a level of pressure because for a lot of these Hurricanes, look, Asafa Amu is a guy who's trying to make a statement, who's playing really, really well. Dane Coles is trying to make a statement and say, look, I should be the third hooker. Unfortunately, the two guys are in the same team. They're playing for the same position, yeah. which, is a, which is a hard one. But I think they've parked all of that competition. They understand they're there to get better. Jordy mm. Barrett knows he's an All Black, so there's no issues with him. Mm-hmm. He's going to go out there and continue to play, as does Artie Savia. Yep. He knows he's an All Black. He, he's going to make it. So I don't think they've got – and Tyrell Lomax knows that. He's just signed a big deal, and he was a, he's, he's such a big mover. And he's playing so well anyway. I think there is a nature of, of this team which is really, really settled, which which can perform um, and and consistently perform. But if they got through the next couple of weeks, if they up, and I would say it would be an upset against the Chiefs. I really do. I mean, I, I look at this Chiefs sides and it's it's in, incredibly it's incredibly talented, but they're relying heavily on a couple of guys in their midfield and Ramiki Poihipi and Daniel Rona. Who, who aren't vastly experienced. You know, they've had a Le- Anton Leonard-Brown, um, Alex Nankerville. Uh, they've been the guys that have been filling their roles from. But I-, I still look at this Chiefs team and I go, you know what? They're a bit like the Hurricanes. They don't have – they've got a, some critical All Blacks. Um, they've managed their way through that. But the way that they're playing is different to the Blues and Crusaders. Yeah. But the way that they're attacking this, there's a – Instinctiveness, and I'd play with instinct if I had Damien McKenzie as well. Well, that's right. I'd give, I just, yeah. as I say, you give him the keys to the car and go. You know what? Turn it on and do whatever you like. Yeah. Ignite it, and it, you know, start her up, and away you go. Um, so, so if I if I turn your attention to the Chiefs, is the way that they're playing, does it transition into winning playoff games, knockout games? <laughs> yes, I, yeah, it does, and I, I think that's a game. Similar to the Hurricanes part where you look at this Chiefs group, how long a lot of them have been together as well. And I think what Clayton McMillan has done, especially when Clayton, a former number eight, um, obviously a very, very good um, man manager behind the scenes around bringing that, that culture of the team together. But I've been... Uh, you look at their front row and we've talked about them and yes, some of them are young, but they are playing with that confidence. But when you look at that, I think that loose forward pack and that, that hinge between the loose forwards and the Weber McKenzie. So those five players there, especially Jacobson and Kane, I think Kane, I think we've spoken about it, Goldie, around Sam Kane playing playing great rugby at the moment, playing really, really, playing with some freedom, playing his fit. Um, but when you, and then you look at Luke Jacobson who's playing well too. So this end, Across then the 9 and 10, I think that hinge of the team at the moment is the backbone of that team. And then you've got the bling on the wing, or bling at fullback, with a bit of Sean Stevenson and so on out, out the back there, who will do some amazing things. Etzeni um, Nanaya, uh, Satura as well, like very... You know, these guys are X-Factor players out there in the wing, so it's almost just get the ball to them. But I think that hinge there is a, is, is a, t- is a group at the moment that will drive them through the playoffs, and it's keeping them... They're incredibly level-headed, the Chiefs, as well. And and I think that's through the Webbers and the Canes and the Jacobsons and so on. Like we, Mackenzie, you're right. Like he, he can do anything with some front football. And give him the keys to the car, I like that. You know, and he, he can do whatever he likes. Um, but they are incredibly... Um, I mean, all teams are relatively humble, but I think they're, just, they're, they're pretty level about the way they're going about their business. There's nothing, there's nothing, nothing overly flashy about what they're doing. 
um, but it comes together on the field and and they're getting the results. So that's the that for me is the hinge. I think one player that we that kind of is um, almost forgotten is that Ramaka Poyepi. I think he's incredibly underrated. Um, he, he's always played well for uh, Canterbury and NPC and his time now in this Chiefs jersey, and he's been forced into having time because of the likes of Nagyville and Leonard Brown. But I think he's also playing very, very good rugby there and probably quite happy not to be necessarily overly talked about or noticed. He'll go about his business and, and, and do that. So, yes, they are playing that rugby there, providing that that hinge, 7, 8, 9, 10, are playing and keeping healthy. I just want to change text because... Um... I mean, you've been in the, around the game for a, a long time now and, and uh, you're working behind the scenes um, in the game and you understand how, I suppose, contracting and bringing, bringing teams together and the standard of Super Rugby and the nature of the contest that it's significantly changed over the last 10 years because South Africa, um, you know, have, have moved away, they moved out, they've headed north. Japan touched and dipped their feet in and dipped their toes into... Super Rugby with the Sunwolves, and they've gone. The Jaguares came in, and we had this almost, um, you know, this this you'd say semi-global connection, right? Mm. Now we're in this little. We are. I'll I'll use a COVIDism. We're in a bubble. We're in a bubble that's very very tight with Australia. Um, the Drua. Um, it's great that we're now seeing our first game happening up in uh, Samoa with the Minor Pacifica. But essentially, we're in this little bubble. Here's the standard for you of Super Rugby. Now that we have reduced to a smaller pool or particularly in the nature of the game has the standard of super rugby changed and as we get excited about all of these players because we do because we start seeing what they're capable of uh, we're seeing more freedoms they're seeing a little bit more space the competition is not quite as tough so they're i suppose like you see an npc player sometimes you, mm. you see them star you're going Oh, he's he's a potential international player. You talk about it, um, uh, Ramiki Poihipi. Does he fit into that bill where the standard maybe just come back just a little bit, and that means that the jump now is that little bit greater? And how do we look at form in Super Rugby of guys being in a position to take that next step up? Does it concern you that that we're having to play kids when you? get a number of injuries. Guys, uh, uh, you know, you're having to go to club rugby to find guys. Mm. Um, when you look at this competition comparatively, how it was in its previous forms, how do you see it? Yeah, it's, um, I think, scary when you fast, if you fast forward five years from now, um, potentially around the, the player depth, I think that you could even go back to the, we'll go to the community game now and look at the numbers coming through and, and what that will flow through looking like. And, when you look at the, the top end of it now, I mean, there's no question COVID and so on just really highlighted how geographically challenged we are here around competitions and and so reliant on, on revenue to, to drive the game. And so now when you when you look at that competition, we need, a, it's always been talked about, we need Australian rugby to be strong. Otherwise we will suffer internationally and that's what I think we are seeing. So. To, to your point, yes, I think there is um, this concern that we can start reading too much about how how good some of these players are in a competition that has that are, the twelve teams that are there, maybe um, seven that are going to be um, a real challenge. 
Um, sure, they're still going to go out and win. And I, I think, you know, you've got to say that all, all 12 teams or any, any team you're up against is going to, you've got to go out and win that game. They're still going to be able to tackle and run. You've still got to score the points. Um, but I think the flow into the international game, certainly when you look at the way that, uh, looking at some of this European Champions Cup that's happening at the moment with these players there in, in the French competition and looking at the English competition uh, at the moment and, and even going through to the Celtic leagues and so on, the, the level, or the, the hype behind the game and the level of play and the difference in play in particular, like the forward-based game, and I think we, we've been used to watching you know, we're disappointed if there's not 10 tries scored per team when you, know, the, you, you watch some of these Irish teams playing, I watched, I think, um, Leicester play Leinster, and they'll kick to the corner and the whole crowd's on their feet clapping. You know, we just don't do that there. And it's, it's that sort of sit back and um, what did Paul Turner, a coach I used to have in Wales, used to call it the coffee and cigarette play. Like, he was a 10 and he used to sit back and tell the forward, he'd have a coffee and a cigarette on the field while the forwards did all the work. And then when he was yeah. ready, he'd get the ball and kick to the corner and he'd clap. Now, that is that is an old-school way of playing, but that's, it's still a way that they are playing the game. So, yes, our rules have changed and our players are fitter and more agile, but the style of our Super Rugby now without South Africa, without um, Argentina, we're, we're now just playing the same style over and over and over again. So, is that wrong? No, it's probably the answer to that there, but... Are we aware of it? Probably yes, and that's where that's the that's the All Blacks uh, coach's job and so on around how they how they build the game differently. So without South Africa in there, we aren't seeing the that aerial contest that we used to see the kicking and the high ball and the box kicking from everywhere. I mean, I watched watched uh, was Leicester. I think they they did they worked so hard on defence they turned the ball over and then they just box kick it away again and just think, and then all they do is play in these. Playing between the two twenty twos, just kicking and, and ruck forming. And we just don't do that. Now we're gonna come up against those sorts of teams, aren't we, in the World Cup? And even later this year, who are gonna play that way? Is it gonna suit our style? If we don't have the ball for periods of time, are we gonna be able to hang on? Are we gonna are we gonna be contesting the ball in the air? Are we gonna be able to handle these drives that they set up in the midfield? Uh, all this different style. So is that having an impact um, on our game? Yes it is. Um, the next part is that are we going to have enough players going forward in this in this country in the next few years? You know, the 2027 World Cup. It's great to have these signings at the moment. What does it look like squad-wise? So, probably into that future of Super Rugby um, part, really. Like, can we sustain five teams here? Um, do we need to continue that World Club Competition conversation? in order to continue to grow the game here in this country so we are still competitive on the international stage. And, and the landscape's changed because uh, the, it's changed for a number of reasons because, to me, um, depth means you've got experience. When you've got depth, that actually means you've got guys who can, yep. when they bring a level of competition, when teams get injuries, which you're going to suffer, it's what you bring in to replace them and... What is it they're going to bring, be able to bring to the table? When you bring a young kid who's just developing, they're going to make errors and mistakes. And one thing they won't bring is they won't bring at mental toughness and a physicality because they're not quite there yet. You know, they'll they'll make a tackle, but there won't be any sting to it. You know, and and that's what I get. I get a sense that what's happening in this Super Rugby 
um, era, which has just started over the last couple of years, when, like you say, the top sides meet each other, there's some sting. But what happens to the teams that don't have the depth, that don't have the experience, um, they can't keep the sting. They can't go to and adapt to a game where I'm going to close this game out now. I'm going to adapt and play a tighter game and a more physical game. They just don't have that now. So they don't have that experience. They don't have that time on the field to have done that. And there's been two things that have significantly changed. I'm not sure people are aware of that. Is the window that the Japanese play their rugby now. So that used to finish in February, right? It used to finish in February, and then all of a sudden you'd pick up the odd player who might come back into a Super Rugby who's been released or come out, and you could bring them in to give you some depth or bring you back into the starting lineup and someone else would drop down, and you'd get that. And Major League Rugby has picked up these players, these contracts um, of guys who play NPC, um, who are sitting around the fringes of Super Rugby, and they go, well, do I wait for someone to pick me up? Um, or do I head over and play a competition in New York? I know where I'd be going. Yeah. I'm not going to sit in, no disrespect to Palmerston North, or you know, you're sitting there going, or, or in New Plymouth, you're going, I can pick up a contract in America, and I can go and play and experience something new. And so when it comes down to it, when you experience um, injuries, you're going to your local club scene, yeah. who, a guy who might have played a handful of NPC games, and he might not even be there either now. And you've got Japan, who are a different window. So... Our depth is being stressed. And I think, you know, um, you mentioned the fact there's some numbers and and, and uh, at, a, at a junior level. And and we know there's a challenge at high school, the transition of guys getting back into club rugby. Do you see a solution for this? Do you see an area that can be fo- uh, a focal point? Um, what is it do you think might attract people back into the game? Because if you talked about playing in uh, an attractive, less, I suppose, less physically demanding competition right now, you'd have to almost say NPCs become like club rugby in some ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there, a, is there an easy solution? Well, I think the answer to that is there's no silver bullet really at the moment um, because you, you might fix, you might plug one hole and there'll be an impact somewhere else. It's a really, really tough, tough question. And, I, I, you know, if, if there was an easy answer, I think it would be, we would have seen it, seen something being implemented a few years ago because the decline in numbers has been something that's been spoken about in the community game for a long, long time. And then the threat of the offshore competition uh, above the community level into that semi-pro pro level around the, the NPC is it's just the growth of the professional game around the world and, and something that we could probably, you know, you go back to 1996 when the game turned pro, you could probably have never guessed what it might look like and today, and yeah. these competitions are a threat. And if you are a player who um, gets these opportunities, you're, you're wanting to. It's like any job, um, unfortunately. It's just like any other industry um, where you're wanting to progress your career and wanting to do as well as you can. And, and these leagues, like Major League Rugby, um, even the second division in Japan, uh, second division in France. They're putting these players on the on the shop window in front of recruitment eyes, and, and, and there, there could be an opportunity out of that. And that's the again playing NPC. You play NPC, you might get a look into Major League Rugby. You might go from Major League Rugby to Japan. You might go from Major League Rugby to France. Before you know it, you've had ten years pro, and you've yeah. you know you've done. I think that's where the the uh, 
this the psyche of a player now, and that's professionalism. We probably may not have anticipated that either. That it's what am I worth, and where can I build my career, as opposed to I want to be a hurricane. Now, I want to be a, a Bay of Plenty steamer. I want to play for. I want to be um, you know play for the Tanifa. Now it's like a, I want to play for this team here because it might be my fastest way to getting a professional career. It's of such a different mindset now that players will be asking their representatives and agents, what am I worth? Uh, where does my career go? And that now, so the, the, the duty to the game changes. And I think we're, we are lucky in this country where we do have a lot of very good agents. Um, we're a small country, so the relationship between New Zealand rugby and player agents is very strong. Um, again, with the um, uh, Players Collective as well and, and Rob Nicol and so on. But also, we're lucky that the retention of players, we've, we've had the ability to, to pay players at that top level really, really well and retain them. Um, yes, there, there's, it is now becoming more of a challenge and more highlighted now, but there are the bulk of being able to sign the Degroots and the Lomaxes and the Takiohos longer now and being able to retain your Scott Barrett's and the Whitelocks for the periods of time and your Sam Keynes and, and others, Adi Sabia. There's a bit more creative contracting now or flexible contracting with the likes of Japan to keep these players. The biggest hole, and you don't have any tension, so that, that's, you'd, you'd mark that pretty well. You'd say, you're right, that's a pass mark for that side. You'd give yourself a pass mark for the for the lower end as well, because there's no real tension on the players who are coming into Super Rugby. They want to be a Super Rugby player, or they want to be a professional rugby player. And here's a way to get be a professional. So I'm three years out of school, and here's my professional pathway. Great. I'm not necessarily looking to go offshore straight away. It's that middle tier, that experience tier that you talk about, that critical depth. So when that middle tier falls out, uh, you know, and you could you could pick a handful of players who might be middle tier, and it might be a players who may not get to the All Blacks, want to, may not. Let's just let's take it, uh, James Blackwell, for example. Or, um, take. Well, we've lost Tom Robinson and Alex Nankable. Those are two arguments. That's right. Now, you take all of those players out of the mix. Yeah, Tom Robinson's a really good example. Take them out. The younger player has to step up. And then where the tension is then on the performance and the, the ability of that now lower level. And that's going to be the killer. So if you can retain that middle tier... Um, that helps, but that's always that's always been the challenge. It's always been the challenge that middle tier player, the fringe, all black player. You know, if you take an all black squad of thirty odd, you might have fifty that will be retained by New Zealand rugby in some way, shape, or form. So it's players number sixty to sixty to one hundred and twenty is yeah. where the tension lies around the retention. So if they go, then you're bringing up the younger ones into that middle tier, and then they go again faster than they've had time to develop, then you're into that cycle of, right, well, who's next? And, that's, and then the impact is on NPC, no question. So we're seeing teams, we're seeing the gap get bigger there. And NPC is critical for us as well, critical for confidence in these players. Like I, the way Braden Yossi's playing at the moment for the Hurricane, yeah. I think he's been outstanding in, at, at loose four. He's played six and eight. But that's off the back of a, a lot of toil with Manawa too, who, not that you can be pretty clear they haven't had the, the best results over the last yeah. few seasons but so losing NPC would be um, yeah, it would be devastating to our, to our depth and, and, and how we operate but that's yeah back to your question what is the answer it's, it's you a, don't know do you it's, it's tough mate <laughs> I don't know either tough. And people say well we need more money but and money's not where how 
What do you do with it? Yeah, it's it's, it's it, you're a hundred percent right. Um, I got and I agree with you in terms of what NPC does because I look at the Stephen Petafeta. Yeah, he's a prime example for me. He had a he had one campaign with Taranaki which changed the course of his career after being and and uh, uh, not being able to perform or getting the opportunity at Super Rugby level. Then Bowden Barrett leaves and he comes into this this situation where he's played a season, had success, they've won a title. He looks like a different player. Yeah. We've got to go. But lastly, who's your all-black captain this year? Sam Kane. Is it as simple as that? It's as simple as that, mate. He was injured at the end of year uh, tour last year, so he didn't get to lead the team towards the back end. Um, I, yep, simple as that for me. It's... Um, Sam Kane, I, I think, look, a lot of, there'll be drums beating for Artie Savier, but they'll both have their leadership capability. But I think Sam Kane is, he was named as captain when he was those years ago. And I think he's playing outstanding rugby at the moment. And he's the guy. And I couldn't agree more because toughness goes a long way in an all-black jersey. And when you face the, the adversity he has faced and the way he's overcome some of those challenges, and then he continues, when he's on the field and playing, he continues to step up. That shows to me there's 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 someone you want to follow and get him behind. Absolutely. I think, and I'd like to see it, and I hope for him it continues through the course of Super Rugby so we can put that to bed. Betty, I'm still going to come back to it. Look, we started off on the psychology of a front rower. <laughs> That's a place I've never been before, and this is a place that on the Breakdown podcast, maybe our listeners would never have thought we might go. So you've offered something that no one else has heard before, mate. Thanks for joining us. Uh, look forward to working with you for the rest of the season. Cheers, mate. Yeah, pleasure, mate. Thanks.